Hi, I'm Crystal, former school principal, married mother of two, and newly diagnosed ADHDer. Come on my journey where I figure out how to improve my quality of life and my family's. A lack of emotional regulation is a global issue. Schools today spend billions on social and emotional curriculums while states set standards and expectations about emotional management in our schools. Lessons are being taught on empathy and patience and identifying strong emotions. How do I know all of this? Well, you can watch the news, but I've even taught these lessons myself. And the funny thing is, those of us teaching the lessons grew up in a generation where we just weren't taught the same thing. When we went to school, the teacher didn't take time to focus on positive self-talk and solution-based vocabulary when we're in peer situations that might be tough. We were often corrected just to get it together or to keep quiet. Our parents didn't talk through feelings and emotional regulation because it wasn't a thing. And those of us with trauma or broken homes surely weren't given additional tools to maneuver all that we were encountering. And so we learned to survive. Not thrive, but emotionally survive. Survival in a way like two people having guns standing at each other in like a Western showdown. And it's a shot or be shot situation. If someone says something hurtful to you on the playground, you stand up for yourself and say something twice as hurtful to deflect onto somebody else. And if you have a lot on your mind, you push it down real, real deep without addressing it until it bubbles up and you have to, so you can focus on the task at hand. Fast forward to today, and there's a nationwide news report constantly speaking of the rise and significance of teaching children emotional regulation strategies. And these are not just ADHD kids. These are all kids. And we know ADHD is outlined by emotional dysregulation as a symptom of the disability. So it can be hard to identify which child is struggling because of ADHD and which child was struggling because that's just how it was. And this often leads to a lot of us getting that late diagnosis with ADHD. But can we reteach ourselves, like the newer generation, how to manage our emotions and work well with others? Well, first we have to even take time to determine if we're dysregulated or not. Assuming that all ADHDers are dysregulated is ignorant, and it's just not the case. Though it can be an early indicator for many of us adults that something might be a little off, it's not a one-size-fits-all, and chances are, if you're listening to this, you're curious as well as to what things might identify dysregulation, as well as how to regulate your emotions. Some signs include things like extreme responses. I am 100% guilty of this when it comes to my kids. They repeat questions that I've already given them answers to again and again and again, hoping for a different answer, and I just blow up. Or my husband and I missing each other on the line of communication and I'm so frustrated that I respond with an extreme emotion. Another is impulsive behaviors and these may include things like blurting out your thoughts in a conversation with someone else, interrupting others before they have their chance to finish, or simply monopolizing the entire conversation altogether. And what about making decisions? Do you find yourself playing a game of decision tennis where you bounce the problem back and forth between two possible solutions and you keep going back and forth and wondering which one you should go with because you can find faults in both 
and yet it creates anxiety that builds up and your body all of a sudden feels paralyzed? Yeah, I may be speaking from personal experience. Avoidance is another tall tale sign of dysregulation. Do you avoid tough conversations or minimize the thought of certain conversations because they might be tied to strong emotions or not allowing a thought to go too far in your head or in a conversation with somebody else because it might cause some strong feelings? These and many others are signs of early dysregulation, um, dysregulated emotions. So now that we've talked about the signs, what do we do to regulate our emotions? A common misconception among many people about ADHD is that we're lazy or that we don't have a desire to fix whatever issues we're struggling with. And this includes emotional dysregulation. And it couldn't be farther from the truth. The disability itself is explained by many neuropsychs as having the knowledge of what to do, but not knowing how to access that knowledge and turn it into actionable steps to get better. And while I'm a firm believer where there is a will, there is a way, we can improve our overall brain power and build new neural pathways with practice. But before we begin regulating our emotions, we must take the time to recognize that they're dysregulated in the first place. And that's not always easy to do. We are very hard on ourselves as ADHDers. Our self-worth is oftentimes low. And to add one more thing that we feel that we're failing at is very difficult. I have mentioned many times in previous podcasts that journaling is a great way to collect unbiased data and trends in your thoughts and behaviors. Remember, it can just be for you, so no one else even has to see this. Rereading your entries can help you to see things that you might not see being clouded in the moment of dysregulation. So, step one to becoming regulated, write down your thoughts and actions for a set period of time. This may be a week or two. This allows us to reflect back and identify the dysregulation and potentially where it stems from. We cannot fix or adjust our behaviors without this very important step. So go back. Step one, journaling your thoughts and ideas for a period of time and putting a name to the emotions. And I'm not talking about these kindergarten words like I'm mad, I'm sad. I'm talking about searching real emotions out on the internet and tying true feelings like disgruntled and uneasy. Once you've been able to identify the feelings, then we can start walking back to what caused them in the first place. This is step two. Step one, identify your strong feelings or emotions. Step two, walk back to what caused it. And this second step is very valuable because it can help us to see our reaction to an action is disproportioned and or it can help our loved ones to see the root of a small action on their part and how it ties to a strong emotional response on our part. Now that you've completed steps one and two, step three is where you truly have to be in tune with your body. What things did you notice as the emotions started to come? Emotions and or physical responses that indicate a strong emotion often aren't seen until we really take the time to look for them. For example, I've noticed that my heart starts to race. I feel my eyes getting wider and oftentimes my muscles start to tense up. So we now know what our emotion is. We've walked it back to maybe what happened prior to that emotion or what caused that emotion. And we've identified what our body does or what our mind is thinking when we first start to feel that emotional response. And lastly, probably the most important and the hardest, 
we must replace it with something more productive than the dysregulated emotion that we used in the first place. This is where regulation strategies come in place, and I will name a few, but it's really important to know that everyone is different, and what may work for one person really might not work for others. You may also have to try one and realize that in one situation it works, but in another situation it doesn't. This is where grace, patience, and practice comes in place. So, what are some of the strategies to replace and minimize a rising emotional response? Well, one strategy can be to start thinking about positive self-talk. Having a mantra, an affirmation, or simply a phrase that you repeat to yourself in your head during the time of this rise in emotion can shift your mindset into a calmer state. Increasing your positive self-talk and affirmation or gratitude are just linked not only to minimizing stressful situations, but there's so much research out there of how it impacts our overall mental health and physical wellness. Another strategy similar to the first of shifting mindset is replacing thoughts you have with similar thoughts that are more proactive or in a positive setting. For example, if you're thinking like, my boss hates me, I have no need to be here anymore, I'm just failing at this job. Replace that with, my boss is upset this morning, I am sure I can make this up to him or her, or I know I can try harder next time. This strategy of replacing thoughts in your head, often called cognitive repraisal alternatives, allows your body to respond in a different way and no longer tie that response, that emotional response, to the threat that it used to have. Sometimes we just simply need to get out of our heads, and this is where breathing strategies come into place. There are so many strategies and philosophies for breathing to de-escalate strong emotions, but one I like is simple and focused. Simply saying to ourselves, breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. And as you do it, really feeling the breath going in your nose and then opening your mouth to release it. Oftentimes when we get stressed or breathe, We start to breathe faster and our breaths are shorter and our body's reaction can cause more damage to our physical self than we even realize. But by pausing when we feel these strong emotions that we've identified and focusing on our breathing, we are letting our body know it's okay. And I am having a response to an external trigger, but as grandma always says, this too shall pass. Another technique called emotional freedom technique or EFT is called tapping. Tapping is a mind-body method of tapping acupuncture points on the hand, face, or body with your fingertips while focusing on an issue or feeling you're hoping to resolve. This method may reduce stress and anxiety. It can lessen strong emotions and it can resolve fear. If this is of interest to you, do some research on the exact points and truly know how this can be effective for you. It is so important when replacing an unwanted response that we practice it in low stress situations. So that way, when high stress situations occur, we do not have to think about how do I implement this? And it really becomes second nature. And lastly, sometimes it's about learning how to minimize these triggers altogether. If every time you go to the specific store, it brings about dysregulated emotions, is there another store that you can go to that's smaller and less stimulating than the one that causes the issue? 
Or can you simply purchase things online and have them shipped to your house? Is there a person that often brings the worst out of you and emotions and things that you say are just not in line with what you want your true character to reflect? Can that person and the interactions with that person be minimized? No doubt we have all felt strong emotions and these techniques discussed will not eliminate the strong emotions. Our kids may still struggle with emotional management. Our spouses may get on our nerves and we'll all have bad days. But our mental and physical health will improve if we take time to identify our strong emotions, what causes them, and replace our dysregulated responses with a more effective strategy for management. As always, have grace with yourself and celebrate the small wins throughout your journey.